Okay, quick question, and then we're going to jump in the Word of God. You can start turning your Bible to uh, John chapter 9. Why do you think we pray like we just did? There's lots of answers. I know it's kind of rhetorical. Here's, here's my answer. Ready? My kids asked me the other day about starting a YouTube channel. Can they have a YouTube channel? Because that's how things happen now. Um, everybody has their own YouTube channel, and you can put your videos out there, and you can learn stuff. There's nothing wrong with YouTube. That's great. Praise the Lord, right? That's fun. They didn't start a YouTube channel, but um, this is how they view the world. If somebody needs information today, you just go online and find it, right? But if you need the Lord, how do you seek him? And there's a lot of people, kids especially, who have now new generations that have grown up with the Internet, which is a great tool, right? Some generations now have grown up with the Internet fully since they were born. Some of us remember when they're, you know, and it went all the sounds forever, and it took 20 minutes, and then you could, like, that was the first thing, right? Um, some of us remember that. Some kids now don't. And so the, the unprecedented access to information is wonderful. It's also making people more alone than ever. Isn't that weird? More connected and more alone than ever in history. So for our young people especially, but for all of us, if you need to seek the Lord and you need the people of God, and not just the pastor, but the people of God, because we need each other, how, how do we do that? And when we pray together in these little groups like this, it is ultra, ultra countercultural. It is. Because if you have a question or something, you put it on Facebook. Anybody got a recommendation for how to get my dog to stop gnawing his paws? Right? And you see all this stuff all over social media. People have questions. They don't call anybody anymore. They're devoid of community. So we're pulling back into community to remember the Lord together, to seek him together. And as a demonstration for our little ones, this is what you do. Don't just go to Google. Come to the people of God. Right? Now, you did that without even realizing it. But it means something. It means something to all the kids that are back there because we're, we're training them. This is what you do. Now, we don't do that every Sunday, do we? But when we do, it's, it's important. And it, so if it was awkward or weird, forgive me. Um, especially, it's the worst for the video. Like, they're, all the video people, if you're still with us, God bless you, thank you. They're like, what is happening? They don't know. They see people milling around, like, I guess, I guess it's over. You know, they don't know what's happening. Uh, but for us who are here, this, it's important for us. Amen? Okay, that's why we're doing that. Having said that, here's John chapter 9. We started looking at this last week. And in John chapter 9, really in John chapter 8, Jesus has um, gone through the temple and he's teaching. He's done a bunch of miracles. The, uh, the elite of the day, who are the Pharisees, they are sort of the Jews of Jews. Um, they, have, they are the Ivy League educated people. They're not exactly priests, but they kind of function like priests. They're the lawyers of the day, basically. And they know a lot about Scripture. Um, they've also taken Scripture and made it minute in its application. And so the difficulty there is um, they have created specific laws and ways of doing things that are, that are more than Scripture says in a heart to try to please God. For instance, one of those laws that we talked about last week is you can't make any clay anything on the Sabbath day. If you, if you mix water and mud together to make any kind of clay something, that's work. There's a certain amount of steps you can take on a Sabbath day. 
So when, you, when our, our worship days happen, make sure you're within those steps so that you're not working. Um, if you come into work, the Lord said to rest, which is right and good. Amen to that. But if you step, you know, one step too many, now you're in work and you're in sin. And that's what I mean by they made it too narrow because it's hard to define that. And Jesus is sort of just eating and drinking with people, and the Pharisees hate it because here's this guy that people are calling rabbi, teacher. They're supposed to be the teachers. Who's this guy? And this guy, he's eating and drinking with people who are bad people. That's ridiculous. And he took a lot of steps today. What the heck? He's not even listening. He's not listening to anything. This guy, he's not. He is not for us. He's against us. And so much so, it's come to a head now because Jesus has literally said to them, you are following your father, Satan, and his will and desires, and I'm following God. And they're like, what? They're very upset. So then he leaves the temple after basically telling them he is God. So they're very upset. They want to try to stone him to death, and he escapes somehow. Goes outside, spits on the ground, makes a little clay mixture working on the Sabbath day. That's not okay. And puts it in a blind man's eyes, tells that guy to go wash. So he goes to this pool, washes, receives a sight. How amazing. And now court begins. And the court begins because the Pharisees, who are the lawyers, are like, what is happening? So they bring the guy in, the blind man who now can see. So the sight-restored man comes in, and they say, what happened to you? And he tells them the account. Jesus came, this guy, Jesus, I don't know, and he put stuff on my eyes. He said, go wash. I washed, and now I see. Amazing. And there's, they say, who do you say that Jesus is? He goes, well, he must be a prophet. I, I don't know. I, all I can tell you is, one hour ago, I could not see him, and now I can see things. So, amazing. So this isn't enough for the lawyers. They say, you know, this guy, he's actually a, an actor, and he's pretending. So they go and they find the parents of the previously blind man. And they say, is this, is this your son? Now, imagine you're a parent and you get brought in to court by the lawyers of the day. This is a weird feeling, doesn't it? And you're counting how many steps it took to get there so that you're not working. This is really what's happening. And you know, because you've heard, if anybody is following Jesus, you're not allowed to come worship with everybody, which means you're out of the community, which means you're ostracized. And their poor son's been ostracized from birth because he was blind. And the assumption is because he's blind, surely he did some sin. Or surely his parents did some kind of sin that has fallen to him now and caused this terrible blindness. Because God knows. He knows everybody's heart. He wouldn't allow somebody, somebody to be blind unless they're for sure a sinner. So not only is he ostracized from community because he's blind just by physical deformation, but also because it's assumed he's a bad guy. you got to stay away from him. So he's been ostracized his whole life. And his poor parents come in, and the Pharisee lawyers say, who is this guy? And they say, well, that's our son. And they say, how can he see? And they're like, uh, I, uh he's grown. Ask him. I, I don't know. Because they're afraid. If they say Jesus healed him, they're going to get pushed out. You know, being ostracized from the community is not good. Isn't it funny how it's like a goal now just to be in a cabin in the woods alone? Have you seen that? Like I've seen a lot of people online putting stuff out like, my dream is to have no neighbors forever. That, that way when the zombie apocalypse comes, I got a good 10-mile barrier before I have to start fighting the zombies. I, 
I guess, I don't know. But being ostracized from the community is bad. And the people are afraid of that. So they say, ask our son, he can tell you. And so we're going to pick up the story now in John chapter 9 and hear the account of what the uh, blind, previously blind man says. So let's look at John chapter 9, and we're going to start at verse 24. The parents have just said, ask him. And here's what it says in verse 24. John chapter 9, verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind. And they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Speaking of Jesus. He answered, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him. Isn't that a great word? They reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he, where he comes from. And the man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man is not from God, he could do nothing. And they, the Pharisees, answered him, You were born in utter sin, and now you would teach us? And they cast him out. Do you hear their assumption here at the end? You were born in utter sin. If you recall at the beginning of the passage, and we talked about it a minute ago, when Jesus came out from the temple, actually the, the disciples are the ones who asked. They said, Lord, is this man who's born blind begging here, was it his sin that made him blind, or was it his parents? And so the assumption here that we just read at the end of 34 is, surely this man who now can see he was born in utter sin. Whether it was his or his parents, it doesn't matter. He for sure is a sinner. Here's another way of saying that. We know that we're better than you. And you would tell us something? Interesting is confession here. If you recall, too, from last week, when he was questioned about who Jesus was the first time he came in, what did he say about him? He said, who is this Jesus? What, who is this guy? And the man who now can see says, he must be a prophet. And now he's asking the lawyers, do you want to be his disciples too? What a great, you can, you can feel the innocence of him, can't you? Or just, he's just asking, he doesn't even know. You want to hear something shocking? Let's go on and I'll tell you. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Verse 36 here, who is he, sir? You know, the man who was born blind received his sight at a pool when he washed the gross mud-spit mixture stuff off of his eyes. You know, he had never seen Jesus. And now he's standing in front of him. He doesn't say, Jesus, my healer. He says, who is he, sir? The voice sounds kind of familiar, but so many people, I, I don't know. And what does Jesus say in verse 37? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking 
to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You know, this is amazing. Do you know when Thomas first worshiped? You know Thomas, right? The disciple. What's Thomas uh, famous for? The doubter, right? Oh, what a terrible rap he got. Doubting Thomas. And he's the doubter because he says, unless after the resurrection I can see the wounds in his hands and place my fingers there, unless I can see the gash in his side and touch it, I can't believe that he rose from the dead. And then Jesus appears to him. And Thomas is sitting beneath the tree and Jesus is there and he says, Thomas, touch my hand. Feel my side. And Thomas throws himself on the ground before the Lord, and he says, Jesus, my Lord and my God. And this is after the resurrection. But the man who was born blind, who has now received sight, has sight far beyond what's physical. And the first time he physically lays eyes on Jesus, the second time that he hears Jesus' call, he believes immediately, and his posture is a posture of worship. Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The Christ who's coming, the judge of the earth, the one who will deliver us, the one who is above all things. He says, Lord, I believe. How incredible is this faith? Verse 39, Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who may see, who those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, we see. And so your guilt remains. Truly, truly, he goes on in in chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Praise the Lord for his word. What an amazing scene. Could you imagine being a Pharisee there? They actually see this unfolding because they're in earshot to hear it all. They see the man who used to be blind now seeing, worshiping Jesus. They see Jesus claiming to be the Son of Man, which they all know is the Christ who's going to come. They see this exchange taking place, and Jesus says, I've come to open the eyes of the blind, but those who see are making blind. He's bringing this judgment. And what do they ask? Are are we blind? You know, I don't think they're asking in like a happy kind of way. They're asking in a way of challenge. Are we blind? And then Jesus tells them basically, yes, you're blind. And then starts talking about the sheep knowing him. It's a weird exchange, isn't it? He's going to go on from here to talk about that he's the good shepherd and the sheep enter into his kingdom through him. He's the door. He's the one who brings them in. He's the rescuer. And we'll talk about that more next week. But for now, he's talking about how he knows his own flock. And isn't it amazing that the people who are the most educated in the law, the ones who know the Bible the best, are the ones who completely miss everything. And out of the mouth of one who was born blind, who now sees, comes things that the disciples don't even get. It's an amazing exchange that happens here. 
I really like the show um, America's Funniest Home Videos. You ever seen that show? It's great, isn't it? It's the best. Don Adam from Troy and I, it's one of our favorite shows together. And one time I was watching uh, an episode of the show and there was a guy, uh, there was a, a guy in this house and he's standing there in this, and you know, it was one of those old videos so it was kind of dimly lit, it was not in HD. And uh, there was a giant birdcage and a parrot was in the birdcage and it was, you know, on this contraption on the floor and there was a table there. And the man was talking about his parrot and trying to get the parrot to say thing, you know, probably want a cracker or whatever. And the man fell and hit the table and the table shifted over and hit the birdcage. And the birdcage started just slowly falling. And so it's going over and it's going over and the bird is talking the whole time. And the bird is going, oh, 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 oh my God, and just falls. And, and the whole thing hits the ground, right? And, and, and then a bunch of curse words. Just the bird, and it's all the bird, right? And so this was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life because the bird is unprompted just doing it. Now, how would the bird know all these words? How would the bird know, right? Oh no, oh no. Yeah, eavesdropping. And listen, if there's a time to call out to the Lord and not use his name in vain, it's when your cage is falling and you're in trouble, right? So at first I'm like, this bird knows Jesus. He's crying out to the Lord. What a godly family. And then as soon as he's on the ground, like sailor speech comes, right? And I was in the army and sailors, worse, worse. Now, where, so where did the bird learn? The bird learned all this stuff from the family. This is how they talk all the time. And so as a disciple of that family, he learned how to speech following the patterns of the ones who had claimed him. And now Jesus is standing with a man who used to be blind, who now can see. And this new disciple who's one, an hour old? I don't know. How, old, how long has it been since they, maybe a couple hours? It's still the same day. And so even in the first day of becoming a Christian, if you will, Here's a guy who can already speak the lingo of his new house. How incredible is that? Why is that? It's because when the shepherd calls his sheep to be his own, he doesn't just take you and paint you over. He transforms you to be something else. And so here's the blind man who from birth cannot see and now in an instant can see. So miraculous and powerful is this miracle at the pool that now coming back to see Jesus, he can't even recognize his voice. But as soon as he realizes it, he declares the majesty and divinity of Jesus Christ and worships him there, regardless of who's listening. His own parents are afraid of the lawyers for fear that the lawyers would, the Pharisees would push them out of the temple and the synagogue they decide to decline on any comments and instead tell them, you need to go ask our son. But this son is emboldened now. Where would he get this from? What's in it? Yeah, but what in his life could have prepared him for the kind of boldness to stand countercultural, declare the truth to all the powers that be, and then walk the walk and not just talk the talk? What could have prepared him? Honestly, nothing. I mean, he sat and begged his whole life, so maybe he's, you could make a case for, well, he doesn't really care what people think about him, because he, you know, he was blind, now he sees. But in the clarity of seeing, you know, when you see yourself for the first time, I started working out recently at the gym again. 
And there's mirrors everywhere, guys. Everywhere. And the thing I see in the mirror is not what I thought in my head at all. Like, man, you ever do that? You ever like catch your reflection while you're doing a workout and you're like, I look awesome right now. I am, I'm awesome right now. And then you're like, whoa, Ugh, let's go. I got to get a drink. You know, like, but this guy, now that he sees himself clearly for the first time, he's not thwarted by what he sees because his vision is so encompassed by the Savior. He's so enthralled with the Son of Man. And something in him has changed. Light has come in. Why has it come in? Because he's one of the Lord's lambs. Because he belongs to Jesus and because the good shepherd has called him. That's good news. That's good news for us. Because in the same way we know Jesus, we know his grace, we know his peace, we know his gospel, we know that he died and rose again, we know that he took all the punishment for sin, we know that he is our life and as we put our faith in him, we trust him that we're going to be saved and that he has he cleansed us from all unrighteousness. But we also trust him for every step, don't we? Everything in life. And here's the great news. If God can take a guy who had nothing to offer, what education could the blind man get? He has no degrees. What physical activity could he do that would make him strong enough how could, he, how could he go on runs and races and do things? He was utterly helpless. And yet now God is using him to, to declare the majesty of the Christ. If God can use somebody that was utterly useless and then put words in them to declare the majesty of, and grace of Christ, how much more now can he, now that we know his death and resurrection and are filled with his Holy Spirit, know his peace, his grace, his empowering to do all the things that he's called us to do. The big question then is, are you his? Are you one of his lambs? Are you called by the shepherd? Do you know him? You know, uh, the Olympics just started and they're, they're really fun. And we've enjoyed watching them. Have you watched some of the, did you watch the procession of all the athletes? Did you see that happen? Did you notice some of the, the really ornate costumes and neat things? Really ornate. Um, I thought our people looked ridiculous, but that's okay. Um, but it's interesting to me that some people come in with just beaming with pride for their country and that they're representing something bigger than themselves. Others you can see are just athletes. They're just coming to compete, and you can see it in how they saunter. Um, I watched, uh, we watched, Lisa and I watched some of the Olympics yesterday, and they had the snowboarders, and uh, our American snowboarder, she won silver. It's a great job. I mean, amazing. I don't know how they don't die. I mean, they're flying through the air. So it's incredible. Um, but she's giving her interview. And the interview was like, basically, in my own words, paraphrasing, yeah, it was totally gnarly. All right. Like, that was the whole thing. And they're asking her questions. She's like, yeah, it was awesome. And she was great. God bless her. I'm not trying to have any kind of thing. But she's representing the United States of America. And I'm, I'm using her as an example because especially in our country, I don't feel like our athletes really have that feel. Like so, there was one guy, you know, it was 20 whatever degrees in Beijing, like 24 degrees. And one guy was in his tribal naked, mostly outfit. Yeah, the Samo America Samoa. Man, and he was all like oiled up and stuff. He must have been freezing. And he's got to compete now. 
Like, I, I, the whole time I was watching, I was like, man, I hope he doesn't catch a cold. Like, it's freezing cold there, and he's for a long time. And then they go sit in seats. They don't just go, like, oh, back to the warmth. So hopefully he had a jacket. I don't know. But he's the only one, and he's wearing all this stuff. And everybody in the world, everybody in the world was like, look at this guy. He's not wearing Ralph Lauren. He's wearing bones. He's wearing furs, this guy. What a joke. But for the people in his country, man, what an honor. They're built up and honored. It's amazing, isn't it? Who do we represent? In this story, as we see God's kingdom unfolding in more and more majesty and more and more power, you know the lawyers were supposed to be the ones to represent God's kingdom? They were supposed to be the ones who knew the law so well that they could tell everybody, this is what God says. This is what he wants from you. This is what you need to know. And then Jesus comes on the scene and throws everything that they thought in the trash because they don't actually know God. They're pretending to represent him, but they don't actually represent him. And who does God choose to represent him but a man who's laying by the back door of the temple, blind, worthless, untouchable, nothing. Nobody cares about him. He can't do anything. He's just begging. And God chooses this guy. And he spits on the ground to make mud to put in this guy's eyes, to wash him clean. And God chose for all of us to open the veins of his only son, that by his blood, he would cover us, though worthless, though unable to do anything ourselves, that we would become his, and the shepherd would call our names to be his own people, to represent him. And what flies through our head is, if I just was a lawyer, if I just knew all the scriptures like those lawyers, if I just had a Princeton degree, if I just really had stuck with it and I had finished all those things, if my business was really the best, if I was like a Bill Gates, then people would listen to me. If I had the best YouTube channel, if I had 9 million subscribers, then I could really say something for Jesus. And God chose the unlikely who declared the excellencies of the kingdom. And I'm telling you that God has chosen you if you believe in him, that he has called you, that he has washed you with his own blood, that he has brought you up in resurrection life with him, that if you believe in Jesus, if you say, Lord, forgive me of my sin, Lord, I want to know you, he rescues us, he transforms us, he makes us his, you are his lamb, and you are the best representative on the earth, better than any website Better than any car lot of beautiful things or shiny buildings or perfect churches or whatever. You are the displayer of the glory of God. Because you can now see in a land of blind people. Amen. How great is our king. And if he has called you like that and he has filled you with his spirit and he has made you to be able to see. How will he use you? to declare those same excellencies, whether it's to lawyers or to kings or to CEOs or to trash men or to janitors or to the blind or to the lepers or to the hurt or to the sick or to our neighbors or to people who are pretending, pretending, pretending to have it all together. But if you just scratch the surface, 
they are ready to implode because that's our life nowadays. Everybody has got to have this facade of fake goodness, just like those Pharisees, to look the best. I only walked so many steps. Surely I'm good. And instead, if you can just open their heart, all they're doing is following their own blindness. But God has given us sight. Let's open our eyes to all the people and the lambs that he is calling to himself. Let's open our eyes to the places where we can describe his excellencies, where we can proclaim goodness, where we can tell people of the glories of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because it is life. And like that parrot who's discipled into what to say, when you don't have the words and you feel like everything's falling, I'm telling you right now, the DNA of the kingdom, the Holy Spirit in you, is going to give you the words and it will come out of your mouth and it will sound just like all the family speech because you are part of his family. Amen? Don't we have a great king? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, that you chose a nothing blind man. Lord, to open his eyes. Lord, when the Ivy League of the day, they didn't see it. When even the disciples couldn't see it, Lord, you opened the eyes of somebody who blind from birth could do nothing. So, Lord, we declare to you, Father, we had walked in blindness before you saved us. Lord, forgive us for our assumptions. Forgive us for thinking that we just need more than what you've already given us because you've given us everything. Lord, help us to serve you. Lord, give us boldness more than that man who can now see who declares your excellencies. Lord, give us the boldness of Christ that we would walk like you, talk like you, sound like you, smell like you, love like you, serve like you. Lord, in everything we do, help us that we would be yours in every way. Lord, help us for all the people we disciple, whether our own children or spiritual children or neighbors or anybody. Lord, help us to talk the talk of the family, that everywhere we go, we speak of the excellencies of Jesus so that people would know you and would see us and see you because you've called us. Thank you, Lord, that you are our Ebenezer, our deliverer, our life, and you are with us. We praise you, we thank you, and we come to you today to say, Lord, use us. Use us for your glory. May the grace of the Father, may the perfect rule of the Son, and may the power of the Holy Spirit fill you as you go from this place to know that you are truly his. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you.